I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, what's their name? Marlon. Marlon. Like Brando. Exactly like Brando, actually. Yes. He was named right. after Brando. Excellent. I was working today. I was uh, I was at the drama school getting ready for these six short films because we're making fucking we're make, we're making six short films um with the third year BA acting students, which is like an hour and a half of programming, and it's me, a production assistant, uh, sound editor, and picture editor in the team, and then oh. everyone else is hired. Yeah, so it's a lot of work. Well, how but did you? How, how did you like? What? What's like? How did it all start then? <laughs> how? Which word do you want me to start? Uh, well, we made, as you know, we you and me made a um, a short film in twenty eighteen, summer of twenty eighteen. Yeah, it? I say so. Yeah, lost and found. Yeah, um, and then I moved back to London. Um, then later that year, wasn't it? And then. Uh, was like living in and around places and ended up COVID hit um, and I was kind of working on some shows like some locations and stuff I got I jumped on um, a couple of BBC shows and uh, and then an Apple there's an Apple co-pro um, and then I got asked to write a short for the drama school so I wrote one um, and then they said, oh, this is really good. Do you want to write another one? And I said, yeah, okay. And then off the back of that, they said, do you want to come and join as a production assistant for a couple of months uh, in 2020, just before lockdown? And I said, yeah. And then every year they've kind of asked me to go back in, like in kind of taking on more responsibilities and stuff. Um, and then last year they made me full-time as a line producer and then come this January, uh, they didn't have anyone to produce the short film, so they just said, oh, do you want to do it, or do you want us to hire someone new? And I said, well, no, obviously, I would I would like to do it. <laughs> uh, and yeah, so that's yes, where please. I'm at. The most fun job yeah. ever. Very stressful, but it is a lot of fun. What goes oh, into making one of those short films? God, uh, a lot of time and energy. Uh, because because the school is like a drama school and a charity, you don't have a lot of money compared to other like productions, right? Um, so we have to do a lot with with the stuff we have. Uh, we need to obviously find appropriate um, an appropriate script. I developed the script with a writer, uh, which is kind of runs between twelve and fifteen minutes in length, about fifteen pages give or take, depending on how much dialogue and, and acting there is. Um, then I, I commission that and then we have to cast it and then I have to find a director, a DOP, a first AD, uh, a composer, um, a locate well obviously the locations, props, wardrobe, 
and then uh, and then we film it. I have to organise the shoot, schedule the shoot, uh, make sure everyone's paid, and then I oversee the picture edit at the end of the year after we filmed everything. Damn. I do have six months. Um, is it is it always feasible though? Because when you see when you read the script or whatever at the beginning, you're like, right, we we can't do this, we can't do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like quite quite early on. Um, quite early on, you you realize like this is possible, this isn't possible. I, the first year I was there, the first job I had was actually to read through about two or three hundred submissions. Um, Jeez. And you. That's how they used to do it. They used to get two or three hundred submissions in, um, and some poor schmuck like me would read through all of them, uh, and shortlist them for the for the producer and the head of the department. Then, um, and it, it really, you know, you hear all these stories about oh, if it's not formatted properly, then it doesn't get read. If it doesn't grab someone on the first page, it doesn't get read. And it's hundred percent true because when you're trying to get through hundreds of things, hundreds of these scripts. If it doesn't grab you straight away, if you don't, if you can see that it's not formatted right, it's just difficult to read. It takes time out of your day, and you've got deadlines to fit. Um, but the way we do it now is I approach writers directly, and I go, you know, I like your work. I've seen some of your work. Would you like to um, write something for us? And then we have a pitch meeting where they pitch about five, six ideas. We narrow it down, or maybe combine a couple, that kind of thing, and uh, and then end up end up working on something which suits the goal. So from the get-go, we know, you know there's not going to be any high fantasy, there's not going to be any like ridiculous period pieces set in like country manners or anything like that. Um, and, and nothing like sci-fi like Star Wars or, you know, galaxy quests. <laughs> yeah. So is it all sort of like dramas and comedies and stuff like that, stuff you can do in modern day in London? Yeah, I think the the problem more than anything is I think it's a problem. I guess the um the main the major limiting factor of it is you've got a group of actors that are all around the same age, and so yeah. you need to create something which caters to these actors. Uh, we still do things like horror, of course, we do comedy and drama. We've done a couple of thrillers. Um, we don't try and close ourselves off from things. It's more I kind of assess the whole package as I go along and start doing kind of like a quick budget in my head of like where this is going to cost money, where this is going to be okay. So for example, this year we have, um, we have a couple of films that are going to use prosthetics. And so I've got to like factor in, okay, I've got to buy like prosthetic pieces for this or put time aside for makeup. Um, then there's one which is using decommissioned firearms. So I've got to get in contact with an armor friend of mine and like see if he can lend us some guns. <laughs> Damn, in a yeah. couple of weeks, that kind of thing, uh, and it is just lots of calling in favors and like your network really does help. Uh, I mean, the group, the job's great because you expand your network as well. But at the same time, there are certain things that you just need to know people for. There's there's no way around it. Um, just what it takes, and, and people willing to do you a, do you a favor here and there. I guess once you've done a few, then you can just oh, this person will be good for my next project. Oh, I've got something coming up. That this, you know, like you collect people, like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it is, it is a bit like that. But I suppose, I mean, that is the industry as a whole. Um, you know, if you get into a, even if you were going to go on like as an AC, a third AC or second AC on something, um, and you get in really, really well with the, with the right crew, when the head of department, like, you know, your DOP or your first AC goes off to like, do another film, um, you go along with them. And so there isn't really kind of like a day in, day out uh, like workforce that you have unless you kind of, hold on a second, unless you get inducted into one of these groups, in which case you do just find you're working with the same people probably for two years straight um, until you jump on something else or move up or whatever. Damn. What, um, what are you working on at the moment? Did I already ask you that? I can't remember. Uh, no, you didn't ask me that. Uh, well, you said what I was up to today. Um, so I'm, I'm working on a few things. Obviously, I'm working on these six short films. Um, the delivery date is set for uh, a screening in June, the beginning of June. So we're going into principal photography next Monday, and we're doing that for four weeks. Uh, and then after that, 
I mean, on the side, I'm also working on about two or three scripts, two pilots and a feature. And then I'm also, um, I'm also helping with uh, a one man, one man show that a friend of mine's writing. Um, just giving some feedback and stuff and, and just kind of trying to, trying to get a couple of other things off the ground, but with other people, um, just seeing how that goes, but being, being helped where I can, but, uh, I'm hopefully making a short in the summer, which will be good to be mine. I've written that Sweet. and, and hope aiming for some, for some big names in it as well. So we'll see. Yeah. Don't, don't let anyone, don't, don't no, tell no. people. I'm not going to say anything until it's all Spoiler. set in set in stone. Yeah, I don't want to, I don't want to um jinx it. <laughs> What's like a day, like, what on set? Like, are you just constantly putting out fires? If you're just sort of in everyone's pocket, you know, like everyone, like everybody it, somehow has to talk to you as a department a bit, you know? Yeah, I mean, as a as a producer, I guess that's. The main thing I think everyone looks at it and goes, "Oh, like you know, you're you're like the big boss and you're you're in charge of things." And really, it's a very it's a very laborious, not laborious, not boring, but it's labor intensive, hard working, roll your sleeves up and get busy kind of job. Um, yeah, actors want to talk to you. You've got directors calling you up all the time, trying to figure out what's going on. If there's any issues with the location, you've got to sort it out. Obviously, on bigger shoots, you've got a lot of people there to help you and a lot of people there to to work with you. Um, you know, you'll have location managers, HODs. You'll have your director. You'll have uh, uh, your production staff, like your special assistants, coordinators, all of these guys, production managers. But because we're such a small unit, I do end up, yeah, putting out fires a lot of the time. Is the correct way. To put it <laughs> have you ever had like a huge problem like the location falls through like at the last minute and you got a fucking oh yeah 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 so i thought i had I all locations that happens quite often on indie films like the location just falls through and you've got to pick everyone up and find somewhere else Does that happen? yeah i mean that happens i mean that will happen at a lot of a lot of uh budget like kind of like budget brackets but the only thing that doesn't really happen on is huge film because they can afford to pay everyone off yeah um but i'm sure it still happens on those as well you know uh i heard a story about um spielberg when he was doing saving private ryan he was on the beach and he didn't like they didn't realize that the sun was coming up over like a different side of the beach than he thought and it messed up his shot list so he had to go for a little five minute walk and refigure it out um so it does happen location wise though uh yeah we've had some last minute cancellations we've had um some like couple of people getting ill that really shouldn't be getting ill in terms mm. of key key crew that was more of a thing during covid there was one shoot i was doing last year and we had to change dops like twice because people kept getting covered yeah and isolating and stuff um there's no way around it things happen it's about how fast you can kind of like adapt <laughs> to yeah. the new to the new requirements i guess did you ever hear about on Saving Private Ryan that scene, the Normandy scene? There's like these yeah. temporary groins in the water, and they're just pointing the wrong way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, I have heard about that actually. They're just pointing like towards the <laughs> towards the the beach. Yeah, it's like nobody told I... nobody told anyone to turn those around. <laughs> it happens quite a lot where things get put in the wrong way, and then uh, and if you're quick enough, you can rectify it, but. But sometimes it just kind of slips through. Yeah. Um, I was I was watching The Last of Us recently, uh, which is a great show, and someone freeze framed it on like quite wide, and they saw like some of the crew standing in the bushes nearby. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really funny, but uh, you know, I, I didn't notice when I was watching it. It was only like these eagle-eyed viewers that then stick it all up online. Yeah, but the thing is with streaming, though, is that they could just go back and correct it. Remember when that guy with the, who was wearing the jeans in Mandalorian and then Disney Plus, just complete party poopers, just... Yeah, edited him, taking edited out him all out. of the... Like, can you imagine if they dropped uh, Star Wars on Disney Plus originally? They would take out the, the bonk of the helmet on yeah. the door. Um, they did that, actually, the Duffer Brothers did that with Stranger Things. Yeah. To iron out all of their, like, the mistakes they've made over the years. They just yeah. re-edited it. To, like, to like make it more work continuity-wise. Yeah. 
but like not not Which just I... like continuity mistakes like trying to adjust the story to make yeah. it like i think that's just fucking wrong i don't think you should be allowed to do that there should be like I, some, I feel... there should be the art police that say you can't change stuff like that i, I feel like that's kind of what lucas tried to do with yeah. specialized edition um I don't know. I'm in two minds about it. I think you should still allow the originals to be accessible to people. Yeah. Um, but I don't have a problem with people going back, and if it's like you know within the course of a show, just to make it flow a bit better, so it holds up against time. Yeah. A little bit nicer. Then you know, that's well, okay. Well, there's a whole controversy about it, though, with the Roald Dahl books. Have you heard about that? How they're just I have heard about those. Like, what yeah. do you what do you think about that? Do you think that should be allowed? Because it's not him think... doing it, though. Oh, sorry, you, you you say it first. No, no, you're right. It's but, not yeah. him doing it. And I think even then, pressuring artists to change words that they've they've written years ago um, is it's looking at art and looking at the creative process through the lens of retrospect. Um, and that's not that's not useful, and it's not it's not helpful to the debate at all. Yeah. Um, you know, it's important to look at things that were written or made years ago through the lens of time and look at it and go, yeah, this isn't what we believe now. This isn't what we think is appropriate. Um, but this is how it was made and don't fuck with it. Like, yeah. And I don't, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think my issue is when people kind of try to judge pieces of art that were made in a different time or a different era by today's standards. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's like, uh, you know, the fairy tale of New York song by the oh, Pogues yeah. and Justin Nicole. It's my favorite they kind of, Christmas song. So, yeah, it's, it's a great Christmas song. And um, Ray McGowan, who's the singer in the Pogues, got loads of fire consistently about it over the last few years. And people kept saying, oh, you're going to change it. You're going to change the words like, oh, you know, you scumbag, you maggot, you cheap, faggy faggot. And he was like, no, I'm not going to change it because these are the people in the story. I'm telling a story. And they, you're not yeah. supposed to like them. They're not likable people. They weren't likable people when I wrote the song, and so why would I change it now just because you're offended by a word that I put in there? Um, and I agree with him. I just think, you know, not everything has to be politically correct in order for it to be worth any value as a piece of art. You're supposed to have a reaction to it. Um, yeah. Do you not think there's a, that... there's a difference, though, between things like something that can be published and printed many copies of, like a Roald Dahl book and like a film? versus something that is just like one it's the it's the old like what if michael uh what, who who did who did mona lisa um uh, <laughs> <Da Vinci>. <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say michelangelo if da vinci came back and he was like i'm gonna i want to draw a moustache on the mona lisa like no you, you know please don't do that but, well, that's, but there's only one of them you can have many different ver versions of charlie and the chocolate factory well, here's here's the thing. This is what I think, anyway. I mean, I'm I'm just playing but, devil's advocate. I completely yeah, no, agree with what you're for saying. For sure, I think I think you know you've got you've got uh, so Da Vinci going back and like painting over the Mona Lisa with a moustache, okay, as as an idea. But, I mean, we see that with like movie directors all the time, right? Where they they go back and start editing their own work, or they make a sequel and it's not as good as the original yeah. and that kind of thing. The Ridley Scott, George Lucas, depending on your preference. Um, and I don't think that's right. I think if you've made it, leave it. I think in terms of like the idea of, oh, you should have an option of like the original text or this amended text. Yeah. Um, I know that's been done like an abridged version and like an unabridged version of text before. Yeah. But as far as I'm concerned, unless like the original author has gone back and changed it themselves, um, it's then a historical artifact. Like, in terms of the art itself, if it yeah, it's, uh, um, if it's still selling copies, it's still selling copies. If it stops selling copies because it becomes out of date, that's great. It leaves kind of space in the market for something new to come along, and for something new to be created. Yeah. Um, but you know, I don't think that the answer is just to change change aspects of it to to suit a modern audience. I think it's learning opportunity for kids and for parents read something that's out of date i mean like look at enid lighten and all of her all of her old books where she's got really racist words in there yeah um 
and I remember my mum reading these like those books and then going, well, this is out of date, this isn't what you say, this is like not not okay anymore. Um, and as a kid, I understood that. I understand that it's from a previous time. Yeah, I mean, like, they, in America, they teach Huckleberry Finn in schools, and there's literally a character in there called N-Word Jim. And yeah. Do you think, like, do you think that they should change his name to, to Jim? Well, I think... Because there's a documentary about it. It's all about how over the years different people have tried to get it changed. And the argument against that is, well, like, mm. ha look how bad his life was. That's what his name was. That's what Mark Twain was trying to say. Like, I, he's not just do they call him that. That's his name. <laughs> that's how bad his life was. His name is N-Word Jim. And well, I, I've written I think it as that such. I can't, I can't comment on whether or not that should be taken out of the book but what I can say is that why are they still teaching texts um, that a lot of people would find insensitive or um, uh, or insulting um, you know it's like people teaching To Kill a Mockingbird great book but there's a lot of great books out there and you can't tell me there's nothing else that you can put on a yeah. syllabus which better reflects the society we live in um, and so I say I would say the same thing about Huckleberry Finn yeah, great book, um, really outdated. And, you know, if we're not happy teaching the book as it is in the school, then maybe that's not the right book to be teaching in school, schools, not yeah. we should just change it. Or just bump it up a few years, you know. Don't teach it to the to the the, yeah. the, the freshmen or whatever they call to them. The, to the, no, yeah, to the freshmen. Yeah. Um, but I think, no, but you know, like, it should be, yeah, I know, I know exactly what you're talking about. You can temper it. You can teach the Maya Angelou's. You can put on like, um, you can you can put color purple on the syllabus. You yeah. can put Margaret Atwood on the syllabus. You can put. Um, or your favorite film, name? Twelve Years a Slave. Twelve Years a Slave <laughs> on the syllabus. You know, you can put some Baldwin on the syllabus. There's lots of things you can put in there that's going to either counteract it or give you a more rounded, um, three sixty look at uh, the literary landscape of the twentieth century or before. Yeah. Well, Mark Twain's before. Is before? I think, think. Uh, he's a sort of like John Steinbeck sort of era. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. You know, like uh, um, Americana, like 1920s or 30s or whatever. Yeah, like you know, the, Red Dead Time. You know. This is the thing. Uh, you know, I, I don't think the answer is changing the text. I think changing the syllabus to reflect something that we hold more. Yeah. What about specifically yeah. teaching about history, though? How do you mean? Well, if they're if they're showing Huckleberry Finn, or if they're if you're reading Huckleberry Finn just to um, discuss like what life was like in those times and how art is, has reflected those times, do you not think that's okay? Or reading it, or would you rather it was read in like a like a literacy class or in a history class? I don't really know what the question is, but I don't, or is there I a difference? I think I understand what you're saying. I think I think the main concern for a lot of people that are reading it are coming from like a literary standpoint and they're looking at it in terms of literary merit. Um, if you're looking at it from a historical standpoint, then of course you could you could use it as part of the part of the narrative that you're creating within these classes, but you're you still need to go through actual historical texts. Yeah. Um, and accounts rather than rather than a story that someone's made up mm. off the back of something, you know? Uh, it's like saying, should you teach Charles Dickens in a literacy class or a literature class or in a history class? While it does have, you know, some... Like Oliver Twist has got some historical uh, yeah. values. It's a piece of literature. Um, yeah, and it's, so still, it it's still interpreted. Yeah, but so is history, though, if you think about it. It's always written by somebody. There's this I, there's this interview with George R. R. Martin where he's talking about um, uh, the book that House of the Dragons based on, and mm -hmm. he says it's it, because the book that House of the Dragons based on is by these unreliable narr narrators. It's like a fake history book in the world of Game yeah. of Thrones, and the reason he okay. decided to write it that way was because, like in early in his career, he was in New York and he was he was he had to write a newspaper article about a building that wasn't there anymore, 
and he was trying mm-hmm. to and he went to like loads of different sources and he was all he was trying to find out was how many stories the building had and he there's no consistent evidence that this building had and like this they couldn't find the answer basically so he, he got him thinking like well if i can't even find the answer to that who's to say oh what history is really so many yeah. things are interpreted and changed when they're written down and who's to say what's going to survive you know so i think no, I mean, like like it's almost like art is the is the thing that survives you know just because people like it <laughs> yeah cause... that's true people do like they like a bit of art well they like like they do. i don't know there might be a, there might have been a really amazingly well-written document from the 1920s about um i don't know fucking uh ranchers but it yeah. didn't survive but of mice and men survived because it was popular yeah but i think you know i think we can we can use a little bit of of uh like critical critical reasoning um when when looking at these things and I, I mean at the end of the day we're still looking at pieces of art as pieces of art yeah um and historical texts you're right are written by you know history is written by the victor it uh, there's lots of unreliable um historians out there but it's about cross-reference and those against each other and trying to come to some semblance of yeah. of objective truth if you can even say that but it, you know you're trying to find out what the most rational course is through all of these different sources yeah um you know when you're looking at literature or anything like that um which is narrative based uh storytelling or, or medium um there is an element of uh fantasy in there already um so i guess it's up to the historian it's up to the it's up to people to decide whether or not they want to want to take into consideration um, yeah. when when evaluating a time and place in history. Yeah. But going back to your original point, I mean, you know, with with like Huckleberry Finn, um, I think the issue squarely for people is about is about the text itself rather than its its historical significance. Yeah. Or truthfulness, because there's tons of other materials out there that can give you a, a good idea of what that looks like, what that time and place looked like. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, Mark Twain, he can write some. <laughs> he can write some stories. Don't worry, some boring textbook. No, no, he, I he I definitely wrote about colourful characters. <laughs> colourful in the, you know, not the, <laughs> in the. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, run it back a little bit. Yeah, yeah. colourful yeah. in the way of characterful. Yeah, exactly. Characterful <laughs> people. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's I mean, it's, it's such an intro. I can see why there's such a controversy about it. Like, I think Ricky Gervais came out today and just made fun of the whole situation. But mm. it's it's fucking nuts, really. Think about it. Like, we're in the age of like changing things. Like, how but how far can it go? Is what I mean. Like, a few words here and there in Roald Dahl's books, I guess. Like. I mean, people aren't going to be happy about it. So, I mean, I'm not. I don't think it's good for society to do it. But, but where can this go? Does it does it go as far as like? I don't know. Well, I think. What what about in twenty, thirty years when something else is 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 offensive and like I I had this point when I watched uh, Dharma, you know, the the show about Jeffrey Dharma. Where I was like, I bet you in ten years, Evan Peters is going to be apologising for playing Jeffrey Dahmer. That'll be the thing. Yeah, That'll be the I... next thing. Like people who were who were involved in serial killer or you know crime or whatever uh, dramatizations I... come out and say, well, "Sorry I'm about just, that." I'm, I'm just sick of I'm just sick of people getting upset about things and and trying to change what's been made yeah if you don't like it don't watch it if you don't like it don't interact with it and the so, market's so, gonna follow right but like do you do you feel like gay act gay actors should play gay characters well this is a funny one because i i believe that actors are actors yeah um and so i don't believe in like i don't believe in the whitewashing of ethnic characters mm. um I think, you know, 
there is a diversity issue across the board, not just in terms of race, but in terms of like uh, gender and and um, different different abilities and uh, and all these other things. Um, there is an issue with that, but at the same time, I don't think that only like gay actors can play gay parts or blind actors can play blind parts or someone from Slough can play someone from Slough. Yeah. It's called acting. And if you reduce it down to that, those kind of like, oh, I'm only can play, I only play these very specific things that I am already, then you're not acting, are you? You're just playing yourself. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think that that's right either. Um, but I do think that audiences should, you know, you can say, you can say, what you want about something of course you can have your opinion you should have your opinion about about art but your opinion is that it's an opinion and um and people should stop this lobbying thing of trying to get things taken down or cancelled or yeah or uh or or changed retrospectively because you know it's not that shouldn't be how we do things yeah you know I don't, yeah, it's it's such a it's it's almost like every year the goalposts move, you know, like mm. I mean I I totally agree with the whitewashing and I don't think I really don't think that white people should be playing black people in films. I think that's fucking since the dawn of like mm. they should have known that back when uh, John Wayne was playing an Asian person, you know, they should have figured that out ages ago. There's, there's all all sorts of yeah and i understand like a lot of it i understand totally i just i do wonder if like how far are the goalposts going to move because now they're talking about like yeah if you're not gay you shouldn't be playing um a gay person and also like the guy who voices cleveland in family guy got replaced by yeah. a black guy and i don't know if, like he's like i i i'm happy to just like go along with whatever i don't want to you know whatever i'm happy to just agree with whoever i feel like is right what, what i'm saying is like <laughs> i don't know what i'm saying like should he uh that's a voice character though is that not fine i don't know i mean i don't i don't have the answers but i i do think that we're at a point post internet yeah. You know, during the time when everyone is connected to everyone else all at once, and we're going through a transitional phase, um, and so all of these things that we're experiencing now are symptomatic of a major paradigm shift in our society. Yeah, I mean, the internet's been around for what, just over twenty years, twenty-five years, something like that, um, and we're still kind of getting to grips with what it can do, and like, like web. Is it 3.0, 2.0, Yeah. Web 3.0 is coming out, or is out now, and it's only going to make things even more insane, especially with like AI and everything else going on. I'm not an expert. I don't know everything about these topics, but what I do know is that we're at the start of this sigmoid curve, and um, and things are only going to get weirder for the next 10, 20 years, uh, as you know, all of all of our structures in society is going to shift and change. Um, and that's, that's cool, it's interesting, but also it means that we're going to have to deal with a lot of this other stuff. Yeah. That, you know, I, I don't have a problem as, uh, as a man of colour with Asian heritage. I don't have a problem with Hank Azaria doing the Apu voice or appearing as Apu in The Simpsons. Mm. Um, you know, I, I see it through the lens of when it was first created uh, in the late 80s in the Tracy Ullman show. And there was nothing wrong with it and you know he's been kind of ingrained within part of like my pop culture certainly hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. 
Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. He's like ingrained in pop culture. He's, he's, a, he's a character that I, I really appreciate. Um, you know, there are people out there that will be mad at me for saying that, but I don't, I don't personally have a problem with it. I don't choose to be offended by that. Yeah, there was a whole um, documentary about hurt. that specifically, wasn't there? I yeah. watched it. Can't really remember much about it. But. I didn't see that, but I'm not surprised because, you know, some people would say that, oh, I'm enabling racial stereotypes, whatever. Well, no, I can look at something as a racial stereotype and see it mm. through the lens of, of uh, when, it, when it came out or when it was conceived. Yeah. That's like going back and changing School of Rock because he calls a kid Spaz and McGee. And it's like, oh, you can't say that anymore. We have to like ADR that line and call him something else. Yeah. Well, or like, like that, but that could ha- yeah, that like ex- exactly that um, example that you just came up with out of, where, off the top of your head, like that might actually happen. I, I, I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a waste of time. It's a waste of people's energy. Um, let things be in the past. They're in the past for a reason. Wouldn't it be so nice? Wouldn't it be so lovely to go, you know, 10, 20, 30 years down the line, create some new shows, some new films, new books, like postmodern classics. They're going to be great. Mm. And then start the progress of humanity and the society from however way back when, 2030s, 40s, 50s, to 2070, and see how we've progressed and become more tolerant yeah. and more accepting and our storytelling has just stayed the same even gone probably gotten better because the craft's gotten better and the the talent's gotten better wouldn't it be so nice to see that rather than trying to change the past and erase the fact that these things were problems exactly like you won't be able to see if in in 40 years like we would have it's like yeah it's like wiping like footprints while you're walking you know it's like where did we even come from then like it's the yeah. Art, or art of the, the the breadcrumbs, you know. Yeah, you're you're erasing. People are trying to erase the uglier aspects of of our of a cultural past, mm. and that's the thing. Is though, though, what what I've noticed though is like, I don't think anyone's really talking about how this. Is, it always comes down to just money, though, because it's not like like I said before, Roald Dahl didn't. He's not alive, so he his the the rights to his books are owned by a publishing company and what mm. an excellent way and let's be honest big corporations like publishing companies and film studios they don't care about stuff like this you know they just want to see i mean really they don't you know i mean they might you know on a surface level but unless it makes money like that's what it's about it's business it's not show friends you know so i just no, wonder I if um i wonder if this was yeah. just a way to make a big splash on just be like, yeah, we're still publishing new Roald Dahl books, and look at the minor changes we've made. The market's going to follow people's demands, right? And if people are demanding that this is a thing, then the the people that own the rights are going to take notice of it, because if their sales dip because of it, they're not going to like that. Um, yeah. But I think I think people need to start having more rational conversations about what they're trying to consume and why um, and not try and change things that are already there but demand new content if it's content or new pieces of work I say yeah um, but I don't think that people are thinking like that I think as soon as someone's made a book or, or a film or whatever you hand it over to the, to the public it becomes theirs yeah uh, it doesn't it's not the creators anymore whether you like it or not you're not doing it for yourself might have it might have done originally but inevitably it becomes the property of the people you give it to yeah uh, and so you know they want they want they they take ownership of it and then they want it to reflect what they feel about the world rather than what it was what was your ambition when you wrote it or made it yeah and a lot of people if they've got like a an attachment to something want it to change and grow with them because they own it themselves they don't want to they don't want the harsh reality that they might have outgrown something yeah and they might have changed beyond what this thing can give them because this little piece of home this little thing that you've had since you were a kid 
you've outgrown it. No, you want to be able to hold on to it so you can give it to your kids. Yeah. Um, it's a very kind of like, it's a very uh, like base drive that people have for things in their lives. It's like, you know, giving heirlooms or that kind of thing. Um, but like cultural heirlooms. And I suppose that that's the problem is that people aren't seeing it as something that they've outgrown. They're seeing it as something that that is part of them, part of their identity. Yeah. Um, and of course, as you grow and change, things that are outdated and don't change with the time, like a piece of work, it's going to become outdated and it's not going to fit you the same way as when you were wearing it 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. And someone being like, oh, this is, like, I could just, <laughs> just think of scenarios where someone's picking up an older copy of, of a, of fucking The Witches by Roald Dahl and being like, this is yeah. offensive. Like, what's going on? <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, it's written by an old oh. racist Englishman. What do you, <laughs> what do you expect? Like, witches, that's what it's about. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's that whole thing of, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I watched White Christmas uh, last Christmas, actually. Oh, yeah. Um, just gone. And that movie is hella white. Uh, <laughs> And you know, I, I understand a lot of the, a lot of the criticisms of it, uh, from from other people in my friendship groups and, you know, people that I work with and stuff. Um, I enjoyed it for what it was, you know. Um, but I can look at it and go, yeah, this is not made for me. Um, this was made for a different demographic, demographic of people, like a, a whole lifetime ago. Um, yeah. And I'm watching it, more for like film history and to say that I've seen it more than anything else. Yeah. Um, Bing Crosby can sing though. So, you know. <laughs> Whenever you watch old films like that, I always think like only like ri- like rich, snooty white people used to go to the cinema. So those are the films that they made f- films for. Like, you, <laughs> and, and, and all the working, I, we did this in film college, I remember. Like, and all the working class people are all like, goofy fucking sidekick characters or comic relief characters and that's just because those you know that's the sort of people that rich people interacted with and rich people well, are this the sort is, of people that went to the movie theater it's all about the demographic isn't it i mean if you go and see uh if you go and see a film aimed at teenagers yeah. Then all of the archetypes are going to fit within what a traditional or like you know, a stereotypical teenager world would be. Um, if you go and see an art house movie um, the, from like Europe, you're not going to see any kind of like anything that you probably recognise. Yeah, what the fuck? Very, is this very dropping? readily, very readily, you're going to see things that are completely kind of like off kilter and new and experimental, yeah. right? And if you go and see a Marvel film, you know what you're going to go see. If you go see a Tyler Perry movie, you know what you're going to see. Eddie Murphy, you know what you're going to see. Kevin Hart, you know what you're going to see. Um, yeah. Tom Cruise, you know what you're going to see. And like, I think we have to get around this idea that every movie has to cater to everybody because that's not how things are made. Yeah. You know, there's no there's no universal dish that caters to everybody. What about Avatar? Everybody loves Avatar. Avatar. Yeah, I mean, it's got everything in it. Yeah. For everyone it, it definitely has a lot in it it has a lot in it i yeah. don't i don't begrudge avatar i think it's done very well both of them uh <laughs> i like that james cameron is just killing it still good for him um i think it's really cool uh you know would i say it was one of my my top films of, of the last year not me personally but that's I, not to I say that i, didn't. I haven't seen it I wouldn't. I, I appreciate it for what it is, but it's not aimed at me. I am not the target demographic for that film. I don't see the point in seeing it now, in, anyway, because I, I, it's not going to be in the cinema anymore. Why would I want to watch that at home? Well, this is it. I mean, like again, you're probably not the d- target demographic for that nah, movie. Man. The, the last Avatar was fucking great. I like Avatar. Avatar one. Just like yeah, Avatar one. I like James I quite Cameron's like Avatar, Avatar one. But then when I when I saw it, I was you know this was like what twenty years ago when that first one came out, <laughs> and so I was like I was kind of more <laughs> more the, the target range of that movie, and so I did enjoy it. And now I've kind of like got older, and so you know as a, as a filmmaker as well, um, 
yeah i, I want to ask you a few like just just because we because me and you we go we go back a, a little ways and we'd always have we these long extended film conversations and i haven't heard a lot of jake film opinions in my life recently so i'm just going to just throw a few things out here to see what you sure. uh what you think okay. of certain things so what well, do you reckon about warner brothers announcing that they're making new lord of the rings films or they're working on it um i think that considering the deep water that warner brothers discovery have found themselves in over the last five five to ten years uh it makes sense that they want to uh, go over their existing IPs and capitalize on them again. Um, I think that there's nothing wrong with the with Jackson, um, Lord of the Rings, Peter, not Michael. Uh, and I think that you know you can leave those movies just the way they are, and they're going to hold up perfectly fine. Um, yeah. I didn't I didn't care for the Hobbit personally because I felt like they overused uh, CGI. What they did was impressive, but. Compared to the original, uh, the original trilogy, I, I kind of lost a little bit of interest, unfortunately. Um, but no, I think you know I'm not surprised by that at all. Uh, maybe I'll see them. Maybe I won't. Who knows? I'll see what happens when the trailer comes out. Well, it doesn't sound to me like they're remaking Lord of the Rings or something. It sounds like they're trying to do like, I don't know. So like they've already done this this year. Well, Amazon have anyway. It's like it's like Lord of the Rings just free game at this point. That was one of the few franchises that I always thought was kind of sacred. You know, even after the Hobbit came out, I was like, right, they're done. But nothing is sacred. Well, that's the thing, bro. Like nothing everything you love dies or gets taken by, you know, just gets by Mickey out. Mouse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> these franchises <laughs> no, just I get bought out. Hey, look, there's there's a lot of stuff that I really enjoy about um about what Disney's done and what Amazon's doing and even Netflix as well, I think there's a lot of really exciting stuff coming out. Um, and I think that uh, and I think that they're kind of putting money into things that wouldn't wouldn't be able to, they wouldn't be economically viable if they weren't doing these massive reboots and recalls and stuff. Yeah, right? I suppose. Like the Marvel films, The Mandalorian, Andor, Andor I haven't seen, but I've heard it's fantastic. The Mandalorian's wicked. Um, all of these big franchises that are being kind of like made and continue to be made are propping up the film industry. And, you know, we've got to be grateful for that uh, because without it, I don't know where we'd be. Yeah. Um, so I know that on the contrary to what Martin Scorsese says about, you know, um, films being roller coaster rides and stuff, I think that there is a place in the market for all of it. And that's only being shown uh, more and more as we go forward uh, because. Because you know we're seeing an uptick, seeing people mm -hmm. wanting to go out and do stuff. Like, there is a slowdown in in uh, in um, financing at the moment, but overall we're still seeing like loads of movies come out, loads of ideas. Uh, the indie market still got stuff coming through, um, and it's an exciting time to be part of it for sure. Um, but no, I think it's uh, you know I don't you know this is where it, those original movies are still going to exist. Yeah. regardless of whatever new comes out and it, the only thing that probably the new movie they're going to do uh, is uh is draw more younger viewers to to these franchises um and we can share that joy that we first felt when we were watching the original uh star wars or lord of the rings with newer viewers who've got their own version and that's going to mean just as much to them um but you know they can then go and explore and discover the older ones and we can discover the new ones and of course we're never going to like them as much as the old ones because that's not how we're wired as people but um but you know we might and it'll give a lot of people jobs and i think it'll be a great thing from that perspective i guess speaking of the, the big films that are out um <laughs> did you uh do you reckon that the marvel empire is going to crumble I finally got that because I've so basically, uh, the Ant Man film that just came out is the highest opening weekend of any Ant Man yeah. film, right? So it's done pretty well yeah. on its opening weekend, but its second weekend drop off, which you can, which is how you tell really how a film's doing, mm -hmm. is it's down like fucking eighty percent or something. So it's actually done pretty pretty badly at the box office considering a Marvel sure. a Marvel film. Um. Well, so do you reckon you know, every kingdom falls, right? Marvel's going to have to die eventually. Do you think they're going to kill? Because this last phase has just been TV shows and 
what, what, what Marvel's done um, in terms of their business model, which is really interesting, is turn the cinema-going experience into an episodic experience. Right, like the serialized cinema. They've just turned it into like a bunch of different episodes. I was talking to um, to uh, my editor about this uh, the other day, Peter Simmons, who's just released a film called um, Another Day to Live Through. Actually, it's a cool horror film. You should check it out. But he, um, we were talking about the serialization of, of Marvel films and, into episodic stuff. And you know, after you've had the ten year build up to Endgame, which was huge, like beyond huge for a lot of people and what they've experienced so far. Um, how are they going to keep that momentum up? They can't. There has to be a lull in the action. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting that how Disney Plus has kind of played into it because I kind of haven't seen a lot of Marvel films since No Way Home. That was the last Marvel film I saw in the in the cinema. Yeah. But they do they do find a second life on Disney Plus, which is great because it means I can watch them at home. I can watch them if I'm doing other stuff. I might not fall back to the cinema for it, but I can keep up to date with it and keep an eye on it. Um, in terms of the fall-off you were talking about, though, uh, I'm not surprised because that's not really how modern films are... Modern films aren't really built for like longevity within the within the theatre system. Right? It's like a pump-and-dump message. You put all your money into marketing, yeah. you open big, you open it like on the first weekend, second weekend, that kind of thing, and you don't really expect to see people turning up after three, four weeks to see that movie. Uh I think that was both popularized with The Godfather, actually, funnily enough. I might be wrong about that, but I seem to think that that's kind of where it started. Um, the only movie that seems to fall out of the paradigm right now is Avatar 2, because people have been wait- waiting to see it in like IMAX or Dolby 3D or something. Yeah. Um, because that's something that critics are saying like to, to Disney, like, oh, you're not worried about... Um, about not making enough money and the execs are like no no we know that people are going to go want to see it in the, in the best possible quality um, and sure enough that has been the case people have gone to see it really consistently it's just like compared to other Marvel films though it's like the the worst second weekend drop off ever well and it's their, this is their, their one that they're going to launch this next phase so what are you what what's your what do you think it signifies what do i think is going to happen what yeah what do you think this signifies i think i so i just think people are getting just like overwhelmed and confused like if marvel used to be this thing where even if you hadn't seen you could just jump in at any point kind of mm. even into I, I know somebody that watched infinity war and he hadn't seen any of the other marvel films and he fucking thought it was great and I, mm. I haven't seen this new Ant-Man film, but to, I, w- I just watched the trailer and I was like, I like nobody, only people who are really, who've been following Marvel, like even recently are going to be able to watch this. And I don't think you're not going to get people going back to see it. I think that's what the issue is. You need like rip, for that, for that big bills, those big billion dollar money, you need people going back to see films or bring telling their mates about it you know word of mouth or whatever and i just i've i don't know i just i i have this feeling that like the marvel bubble is gonna pop or has popped and i just wonder if uh if this is the film that's kind of started that um because i mean i think about really wanted to see ant-man and the wasp quantumania Let's be honest. Like, <laughs> Let what? me have a think about it. Give, give me one second. Let me give, give you a call back in one minute. <laughs> I need to talk. I need to talk to Lou. Let me call you yeah, back in worry. one second, all right? And I've got an answer for you. One minute. Wait a minute.
I'm back and I've also moved moved through to the to another room. Damn. Do I think that the Marvel so going off what you said before, do I think the Marvel bubble is burst? Or is on the cusp of bursting? Um I think there are definite uh similarities between the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the Spaghetti Western craze, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's kind of a natural everything's got a natural life cycle. Um, things come to an end and things things kind of fall off and uh, and change over time. I, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if there was like a new um, phrase or a new fad that everyone wants to get behind. Um, in the future, I don't see Marvel kind of like falling off completely because there's still like a great, huge fan base and loads of people that really love those movies. Um, and there's a place for the mar- in the market for it. Will they continue to draw the same crowds, and therefore will they continue to still um, still be invested in the same way? I don't know, but seeing as Disney owns uh, a lot of the IP now, um, they can continue making these movies, and that that feeds into other other aspects of their business, right? Like you've got merchandise and theme parks and that kind of thing. Um, so I don't think it's ever going to die. I think it's just going to find a new way of operating. There's going to be new ways of uh, of um, of integrating it into the corporate structure. Yeah, yeah. I always forget about that sort of that sort of crap, like the theme parks and the toys and shit like that. I, I, I mean, I it's, cool. it's like a huge corporation. I just watch the films and I'm like, oh, this one was kind of alright. This one was alright. Yeah. Like, but, oh I mean, my god, these things are a product. Yeah, I mean, look at look at theme park attendances up, right? They're seeing record numbers across the board of people in our age range and, and a bit younger and a bit older go into theme parks. Um, people are loving it. Uh, and so they, you know, the intelligent business model is to supply, supply that area of the business with more material to make it new and more exciting. Yeah. You know, it's no more. They're no more making movies about the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. They're making rides about the movies that you're seeing, and like yeah. this world that you've created. Let's now put it in, like a. You can go and visit that now. You know, you can go to Galaxy's Edge and and drink, Tatooine, uh, Coca Cola, and like make a lightsaber and stuff, which. I think is wicked. I think that's really cool. I haven't been, um, but. You know that. I mean, as a kid, your your mind would just be blown, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, what do you reckon about um? What are you excited to watch the Mandalorian? Yeah. Coming up. Yeah, like I'm today, waiting for it tomorrow. Tomorrow, isn't it? First of March. Yeah, I'm really excited. Um, I've been watching Pedro Pascal in uh, in um, The Last of Us, and man, that guy just doesn't miss. Yeah, just doesn't miss. I saw him in um, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Oh, Great performance opposite yeah. Nick Cage. Loved it. Just the whole thing, his whole deal is wicked. Um, but yeah, Mandalorian's gonna be gonna be rad. I'm excited for that. Um, what else have I watched recently? Uh, you don't suppose Pedro Pascal just has the best like agent in Hollywood at the moment. He's just he's just like the biggest he's like and he didn't really it's been a kind of a meteoric rise in terms of him just being like a household name. Like before he was just the guy who got his head crushed in Game of Thrones. But now he's got these Oh, he he was in that yeah, he was in Game of Thrones, he was in Narcos, he was in a couple of other things. Um Yeah. I think yeah, he's but he got wasn't a great in the main Narcos also... though, was he? He was he was in the other one. No, he wasn't Narcos. Was he? But didn't he leave yeah. there was two Narcos shows, wasn't there? Yeah, he was in the main one, I think. He played the uh, the detective, one of the detectives. Oh, okay. I think he was. I I remember maybe the one I watched wasn't the main one, but that's the one I remember him being in. Um, and no, I think uh, no, yeah, I think it's a lot of I think it's a lot of hard work, and I think he's got probably a really great work ethic. Um, he seems to be a really nice person to work with, and um, and yeah, you know, I think I think a lot of people. 
overlook just how much of the business is an extraordinary amount of hard hard work and a load of luck. Yeah. And the stars just aligned, and they were going to align for someone, and it was him. And I'm really glad it was because the the guy's really cool. (laughs) And yeah, uh, yeah, he just seems to put 110% into everything he does, which shows. Yeah, I'm not caught up on The Last of Us. I haven't watched it past um, the Nick Hoffman episode. Oh, that episode. Yeah, I just haven't got oh, I just haven't got around to it yet. I do intend to watch it. I just haven't yeah. got around to it yet. But that, I was watched that. I was like, damn, such good that TV. Was some, that was some good TV. That was some good good TV. Is that the kind of stuff you're watching at the moment? These big tentpole, tentpole shows. Um, predominantly. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think about what else I've seen. Um. Let me have a little look. Stay here. Let me just go on my. I haven't really been watching much TV at the moment, to be honest, or film. I've been fucking. I was playing some Hogwarts Legacy, and all it did was. Oh, how's make... the... How are you finding that? It's pretty good. I, I, it's like fun, you know. Yeah. But all it did was make me want to play a really good open world game. So I've just been playing through Red Dead again, and. The that... original one or the second one? Red Dead Two. Oh, okay. Cool. I haven't got yeah. a, I haven't got a method to play the original one, unfortunately. I'm, not like I'm trying to find what I'm a wall of games. Oh, I got rid of a lot of that. <laughs> oh, I sold a lot of that stuff off. Yeah, I had to go eventually, but um, it had a good run. Yes. Hmm. I said yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but no, the Red Dead was Red Dead's great, and uh. No, I can't find what I've been watching recently. I've been watching a lot of classic movies recently. Uh, rewatching a couple of things. Um, actually, Anna got me into watching You season four. I've never, I haven't watched the first three seasons. Uh, I just watched season four with her. Um, Is it Netflix? Surprising, show? yeah, surprisingly compelling. Wasn't yeah. expecting to like it as much as I did. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's about a guy who's like a, a stalker and a killer. Uh, and he he ends up um, killing people that he falls in love with but in the fourth season he finds himself in London and part of this murder mystery uh, where people around him are being killed and he's being framed for it yeah, it's quite entertaining actually can't complain isn't that the show that Chris Lee is in? I don't think it's Chris Lee. I think <laughs> Because someone I can't remember his name. I can see why you think they look similar though. Uh, no, he's in. He's in it. <laughs> he's in. No, is he actually? Yeah. I thought he was. Yeah, he's in it. He plays Henderson. No. Uh, yeah, Henderson. I don't, know. I don't watch. What the season is that? Why well, it's not the most recent season. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't watch. Tell you that for free. I've only watched the most recent season. Um, I thought you were talking about uh, the main star, Penn Badgley. Penn, Penn, yes. All right, bro. Well, fucking. um... Sorry, I've also been at work today. I'm pretty tired. No, trust me, it's one of those days. It's just like, it's just been non-stop, um, non-stop putting out fires and and, uh, and problems coming out left, right, and center. So I, I totally understand. My brain stopped working at about three thirty, and I had to just sit there and contemplate for about half an hour, decompress. Yeah. But it's been lovely to speak to you. We should organize like a, well, we should organize seeing each other in person at some point as well. Yeah. Next time. Oh, hundred percent. Next time in London. But I was going to suggest yeah, that we organise like a monthly film podcast where one of us recommends a podcast, uh, a film, and then we both watch film. it. Yeah, let's do that. That sounds good. Let's do this. Um, so why don't we do it? Um, why don't we do it at the end of March? Yeah, sure. First week of April. Yeah. 
Yeah, sounds good. So I've good. got first week of April, and I'm going. I'm going away to Morocco for a week. Okay. Uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah. Um, but we can. I can watch a movie between now and then. Yeah, sweet. Why don't you give me a recommendation? And I'll give you one now. Let me just get my phone out and I'll, I'll check Letterbox and give you a okay. Give you a recommendation because I remember we we started to do this a few years ago, didn't we? We watched two films back to back. I think we watched uh, Wonder Woman and Gleep Green Inferno. <laughs> oh yeah, <You> remember? <laughs> yeah, when we're gonna when we're gonna do a podcast about that. When we're gonna do a podcast. So why don't we find a new one? Um, let me just think. What film? Trying to think of, I'm trying to think of films that I I, have, I, I really like that I haven't seen for a while. Um, uh, I'm going to go with The Wrestler. The Wrestler? The Wrestler. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll re-watch The Wrestler. Um, and I want you to watch... Um... I'm gonna make it more, more recent, okay? All right. I'm gonna say you should watch Bullet Train. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Good old-fashioned action romp. <laughs> Star-studded, adrenaline, balls to the wall, Brad Pitt action. Yeah. Cool. All right. I've been meaning to watch that. It's, watch. it's on Netflix, isn't it? Or it's on something? Or is this coming out? It's on Now TV. It's on okay. Now TV now, and you can watch it on Amazon Prime as well, I believe. All right, cool. And I'll watch The Wrestler, starring Mickey Rourke. And yeah. Well, I'll also I'll rewatch The Wrestler as well. So, so for like, so I'm that's fresh. Not, that's not a problem. <laughs> we can re we can rewatch that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. All right, bro. Well then, bro. Lovely to speak to you. Thanks yeah, man. That's cool. We'll we'll be speaking in a month's time. Definitely. Well, we can speak before that as well. Yeah, we'll definitely. <laughs> I'll give you a call. We'll <laughs> sort it out. <laughs> okay, man. Take care. Have a lovely evening. Okay. Bye. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.